Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Mark 6, verses 1 through 13. And the temptation for Christians is to resist and even outright reject sometimes that Jesus is real. Yeah, really. Christians sometimes who say they believe in Jesus, maybe it's just in mind only. Maybe it's just for the purpose of something other than faith. But but there are people, even those that are supposedly close to Jesus, that don't always trust Him. And those that don't know Jesus don't trust Him. Some resist Him because they have yet to believe in Him, while others resist Him out of fear of what you may ask them to do. While there are real consequences for rejecting Jesus, there are more benefits of answering His call. All of us at some point will answer the call of Jesus to follow Him. There's an old adage in the, the rescue business or in, in when, you know, anything that you do really, but in rescuing, we always have to weigh two factors. We have to risk a lot to save a lot or risk a little to save a little. And the thing is, is that so many people are so unwilling to risk trust. <coughs> Excuse me. Risk trusting in Jesus. Risk letting go of their life because they are afraid that Jesus may ask them to do something that they don't want to do. But the benefit of that is, is that the benefits of doing what Christ wants us to do will blow our minds from what we were even expecting. But all of us at some point will have to answer that call. And rejecting or following that call will have real consequences, my friend. And where do you find yourself today as Jesus calls out to you? Well, we're going to see in verses 1 through 3 of Mark 6 is that Jesus offends the proud. Believe it or not, Jesus is offensive. And it used to be maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago, People would say that we lived in a somewhat Christian culture here in America. That has shifted. We are no longer that. Uh, we are. We have come far center from that. And so now churches are not esteemed the way they used to be. And sometimes Christians are not esteemed. Preachers are not esteemed the way they used to be. And I don't say that as a gripe. I'm just saying, yes, the church bears fault in that. But also, the Christians bear fault in that. And so does our culture. But... What we see here is we see that Jesus offends the proud. My, my friend, if you are a prideful person, Jesus will probably offend you. We see in verse 1, it says, Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to his hometown. I love my hometown. I'll never forget when I had been off to college for four years, although I had found education, I had found a, a bride-to-be, and I had found all these great things. There was nothing like driving down Highway 9, going back to Bowling Springs, knowing that that was home. And now, it's not Highway 9, it is, um, I guess you could say, Old Williamson Road. I look forward to seeing the same landmarks, because I know I'm going home, but Jesus was home. And It says, the next Sabbath he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed. 
In other words, they looked their nose up at him. They said, they were looking down on him and they said, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. If any of you have got brothers or sisters and you're like the middle kid or the youngest kid and you go into your school class and the teacher says, oh, you're so-and-so's brother or sister. And all of a sudden you don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. you got to fight to be yourself. And, and this is kind of that same thing. Like, oh, this guy, he was part of that Mary crew and all those folks. So, you know, he, he, we're just going to discount them. And it says... It says they were deeply offended and refused to believe him. So here is Jesus, homeboy, home, homeboy, come home. That's terrible English, I'm sorry. But homeboy has come home and he's teaching in the synagogue. This is like, like the place to be back then. And he was toe to toe with, with rabbis that have been studying the Old Testament for many, many years. And, and he was standing toe to toe actually. He was doing better than they were. <clears throat> so we see from that is that Jesus wasn't who his hometown expected. Jesus had traveled to Nazareth. Even though we know and we'll be celebrating in a month his birth in Bethlehem, we know that he was born in Bethlehem to get away from the census that Nero was taking. And Jesus, the hometown carpenter, has now returned as a Jewish rabbi. Now, I know many of you are not going to get this reference, but just hang with me for a minute. I remember back years ago when the Star Wars movies first came out. Some of you that are around my age or a little somewhere in there, well, you'll understand this, but bear with me, folks, for just a minute. They, they started out with, with number three, four, and five in the series. So basically what happens is this, this young protagonist named Luke is like, He's learning how to be this, what they call a Jedi, not a rabbi, but a Jedi. And so by the third movie of the series, it's called Return of the Jedi. So here this guy was just a snot-nosed boy in the first movie, now returns as a really bad dude. And he has come home, and people don't recognize him, and he's got all kinds of powers, and that's kind of what's happening here. Jesus before he started his earthly ministry, he was just the son of Carpenter. But now he has come back and he's got a mission. He's different than he used to be. You see, a rabbi was an ordained religious leader who teaches Judaism. And so now here he comes back and he is spiritual way beyond his years. So in their pride, in the pride of the people that were scoffing at him, they tried to discount Jesus. Because of his background. Where it says in your text there, it says he's just a carpenter. That was not a compliment. They weren't saying, you ought to see the birdhouses that Jesus builds. You know, he, he, he built me a back porch and that thing is still standing. That's not what they were talking about. They were saying that he was just a good old blue collar carpenter. It was a way of pointing out that Jesus had no formal theological training. He was never a formal disciple of a rabbi, and much less a prominent rabbi. So in other words, they were saying, he is a yahoo that has just come off the street and thinks that he can come tell us what to do. He's just a carpenter. That's what that meant. (coughs) 
And he sat up in the synagogue alongside the other rabbis and began to teach with authority just as they did. He wasn't coming in there sheepishly saying, excuse me, sir, can, can I say a few words, please? Is that all right? Can I, can I step up to the mic? No, that's the, he got in and he got there and he was proclaiming and he was, he was laying it out. And those people could not believe. So they, what, what does the world try to do? And this goes all the way back to middle school. If you have somebody that's doing really good, there's going to be five people to try to knock them down just so that they can feel better about themselves. But for some reason, over the years, people have thought of Jesus' trade as a carpenter as something to make fun of or to scoff at. As a matter of fact, the term carpenter, if you look at it in Scripture, it's not only someone who works with wood, but it could be a builder or an architect, someone who builds things. There was an illustration of a man who was under terrible persecution under the Emperor Julian and the Roman Empire. And at the time, there was a philosopher that mocked a Christian, asking him, what do you think the carpenter's son is doing now? Well, that Christian thought about it for a second. And he said, well, he's probably billing a coffin for the emperor. Meaning that all of these tools, Jesus is the builder. Jesus builds lives. Jesus is, is not just some kind of white-collared guy that pushes pencils and tells everybody what to do. He lived it. He worked it. You are in his hands. And so Jesus is the builder. He is the builder of God's church. And he is a builder and rebuilder of broken lives. Just like those of us that are in here today. But my friends, once the master builder puts his hands on your life, he is able to unleash all the potential of your life that he's given you. I want you to look at it this way. To be used by the carpenter, you must yield yourself to be placed in his hands. To be used by the carpenter, you must... Yield yourself to be placed in his hands. Now, I know a lot of you guys and gals have your do-it-yourself projects. Some of you guys have got saws and scraps of wood in your garages and in your carports. And some of you women might have the same thing. Or maybe you've got your, your craft room or your stitching room. Or I'm not trying to be stereotypical. I'm just saying that, that there are everybody's got different projects that they work on. I've got some dear friends that do both of those. And so you've got your thing. But what would happen if you went and you say, you know, I'm going to build something today and i got some wood over in the corner I can make. But you go down to pick up the wood and the wood just starts running all over the place. And you can't catch the wood. That would be kind of hard on you building the whole process of whatever you want to make. My friends, the more you run from Jesus, the harder it is for him to build something in your life. If you want Jesus to build your lives, you've got to stay in his hands. The second thing we see is that Jesus is rejected by his own. He's rejected by his own people. His own, the Jews rejected him, his own lineage, but also his own family. And we know because of scripture that ultimately, like his half-brother James, ends up being one of the guys that starts the first church, so he does come around. But I don't know about y'all, but if you were a brother or a sister, and all of a sudden your brother comes back from a long trip and says, Oh, by the way, I'm Jesus Christ. I'm the Messiah. You probably would think, uh, Let me go find the number to that place we need to send him or her. You know, 
But that, that's what I mean, that's what happened. This, this guy comes back and he goes from the little boy that they used to give noogies on the head to, to now saying that he's Jesus. And it says in verse 4, Then Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And note what verse 5 says, And because of their unbelief, because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. So according to this passage, his family saw him heal people and they still did not believe. And my friend, if you do not believe, if your unbelief has got the best of you and you can see God at work around you and still not believe, that is because you are spiritually blind to the truth Jesus is trying to tell you. You see, a person does not need to be respected or believed to be used by God. And I need to explain this for a minute. That doesn't mean that we as believers can go live like we want to live and live live terrible and, and outright evil lives and say, oh, that's okay, i got a Christian t-shirt. Or we can't drive like a maniac and say, that's all right, i got a, a, a fish on the back of my, my bumper. I'm all right. We can't do that. We got to live lives of integrity, but at the same time, if someone doesn't respect you for your stand, it doesn't mean <coughs> you do not need the respect of people that do not believe. You see, when you live the Christian life in front of this world, others are not going to understand you sometimes. How many of you can remember that when you prayed to receive Christ, you may have lost some friends? <coughs> I did. I lost some friends when I became a, a Christian because, <coughs> I'm sorry, these sinuses are killing me. But I can remember those times where you, you, you really want to sell yourself to the Lord and you want to yield to what he's doing. But yet some people will just sit back and say, okay, let's let him get off of that spiritual kick and, and he'll come back later. But my friends, I'm telling you what. If there was so much joy in the stuff that I was doing before I met Christ, why didn't I go back to it? It's because Jesus Christ was so much better. And my friends, I'm telling you what, when Jesus Christ gets a hold of your life, the things that you used to do will not be as enticing anymore. And yes, I did lose some friends, but I found out that they were not my friends. The only reason they hung around me is because when I had money and stuff to do what they were doing, I was the man. But if I didn't, they didn't want anything to do with me. And my friends, I'll tell you what, by God's grace, after I got away from those friends, he gave me a chance later on in life to minister to them. And I'm grateful for that. But just know that not everybody's going to respect your stand to be a Christian. There are people right now that are coming to know Christ and their families are excommunicating them. They are coming to Christ and they are being thrown in jail. Our brothers and sisters in Christ that live in other countries. But if you say you love your family, you're going to love them like Jesus. If you say you love your job, you're going to love them like Jesus. And if you say this world is going to hell in a handbasket, then you need to love people like Jesus. And it says here that Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. An inability to believe God and trust Him. Now, you see, when you look at Jesus as anything other than a Savior and Lord, you run the risk of unbelief. 
We see this when kids go off to college where they go into their religion classes and they realize that their religion classes are not taught like their good old Sunday school classes. They realize their religion classes are not like one big long sermon like I'm giving to you right now. It is taught like a history class, like it is one of many things to learn. And they take every bit of faith it takes to believe the Bible and they suck that out of it and they teach that as a literary work in peace. And some people, some Christians, they have to fight for what they believe. And others, it just steamrolls them. And it causes unbelief. But, you know, unbelief must be met with those who believe in Jesus. Now, what difference could it make if someone truly took action on what they believe? If someone truly took action. Now, I know if I were to have a a hidden survey and I had something in the pew or you just push a button, do you believe in Jesus? I'm sure 90-something percent of you would say, absolutely, I believe in him. But how many of you trust him? Look, I've been a Christian a long time, and there are days that I believe him, but sometimes I do not trust him. It's like they tell Jesus in the Bible, Lord, I trust you and I love you, but forgive me for my unbelief. Sometimes we know that Jesus is there, but sometimes we just don't know how he's going to work. So what difference could it make if you and I truly believed in Jesus Christ and acted on what we believe? Well, I'll put it this way. On September 11, 2001, only 19 militants associated with ISIS hijacked four airplanes and carried out suicide attacks against targets in the United States. Nineteen men forever changed the way the world looked at the Middle East and the way that we traveled. Nineteen people. Jesus took twelve disciples and built the church from which you and I are a part of today. What would happen if people would truly take action on what they believe. So the question is this. What would happen if you could conquer your unbelief and fear of others in order to live out the difference Jesus makes in your life? I think a fair way to put this would be, I've searched a lot in the Bible and I have found nowhere where God's desire is for us to be comfortable and not do anything for the kingdom. Every scripture I read, every parable that I read of Jesus, it's about the servants that go out and work and are blessed for it, and the ones that don't, the stuff is taken away from them and given it to somebody else to do his work. What would happen? Is God calling you to do something? And if he's not, I would ask why. Are you in his hands? Are you following him? Is this the only dose of spirituality you're going to get all week? This little snack here for an hour? That's not enough to last us all week. But God has got this huge world in front of us if we would just yield to him and believe. And the third thing that we see is that following Jesus means he is Lord. Now... Jesus is Lord is meaning that Jesus is someone you can believe in. And that the thing is about this 
How many of y'all have ever, ever heard the term Savior and Lord together? Come on, everybody, get with, wake up for a minute. Pot rush to be there in a minute. All right, thank you. We're almost at the end. Hang on. Savior and Lord. You hear preachers. Would you just come to Jesus and accept Him as your Savior and Lord? Everybody knows what Savior and Lord means. There are some people that don't, to a lot of people, they don't understand church language. Christianese is what we call it. So Savior and Lord doesn't mean a whole lot to them. But let me put it this way. There are 99.9% of Christians today believe in Jesus as Savior. Oh, just keep me from hell, Jesus. Give me that hell insurance. I don't want to go to the bad place. I want to go to the good place. I'll sing of your glories. And I'll talk about how great it is to be in heaven. But this whole Lord thing, I'm working on that. My friends, when Jesus Christ comes into your life, into my life, He is Savior and Lord. And what does Lord mean? Lord means He is leader. So if you, as a Christian, are not giving Jesus leadership of your life, you are not fully living out the calling that you've been called to. If Jesus is powerful enough to save you from hell, He is powerful enough for you to trust Him with your daily life. And if you don't trust Him with your daily lives, then I would question your initial trust in Him to keep you from hell. It's not one or the other. He is Savior and He is Lord. He may not be the head of our government. He may not be the head of the UN. He may not be this big political power. But my friends, at the end of the day, these political powers are going to fail and fall to the ground. Every assistance program is going to fail and this world will fade away. And there will be Jesus And He will be the one standing. And He will be the one judging for those that made Him Savior and Lord. You see, one that loves Jesus enough to save them is one that should love Him enough to let Him lead them. I know that there are a lot of people, maybe even in this room this morning, that they will say, Jesus, I love you and I trust you and I will pray to you when my friends and family are sick, I will pray to you when I got more bills and I got money at the end of the month. I will pray to you. Oh, help me, Jesus. Take the wheel, Carrie Underwood. But you mean I got to actually read the Bible? You mean I actually got to not do these evil things that I want to do? You mean I actually can't go out and do what I want to do all the time? Yeah. If he's Lord, because I'm telling you what, this whole thing about making Jesus Lord... If I if my plans were to have come to fruition and I got everything that I wanted growing up and I thought that God wanted to do in my life, I would not be here. I would not be married to Donna. I don't know what I would be, but it would be a far far more worse fate than by trusting in God. You think you know what you want. You think you know what your heart wants. But God knows what you need. Verses 7 through 12 says, Then Jesus went from village to village, teaching the people, and he called his twelve disciples together, and he began sending them out two by two, giving them the authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals 
but not take a change of clothes. Folks, when Jesus calls us to follow him, he expects our belief to be shown in trust. You can say, I believe believe in Jesus all day long, but do you trust him enough? Think about it. These disciples, he said, don't take your wallet. Don't take your debit card. Leave your iPhone at home. (gasps) Woo! That's meddling now. Leave your iPhone at home. Don't take your car. Don't take an extra pair of shoes. Don't even take a lunch bag. You just go take your walker stick and you go walk and you take the message. And I will take care of you. That's what he told them. Some of you say, well, preacher, I'm not one of those disciples. No, you're not. But you are his child. And you are a disciple of Christ. Because of the Great Commission, we are to take the gospel message to local, regional, and across the world. We are to teach and baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. But here Jesus sent out his disciples to do the same things that he did. Preach, heal the sick, and free people from demonic possession. He told them to take nothing for their journey. Now, I've probably talked about this before, but have you ever noticed, and some of you young people will snicker, but you'll remember this. The older you get, <laughs> the more stuff you got to take when you go on a trip. Those of you guys that made y'all, you know what I'm talking about. Batman, back when I was these guys' age, all I got to do is get my backpack, a couple dollars in my wallet, and I'm gone. I'm good to go. Youth camp? Oh, yeah, I can just get my backpack and a satchel. I'm ready to go. Now, for an overnight trip, we need a huge luggage rack. We need one box just for the medicines. <coughs> Another box just for all the gadgets. Then we can't put our shoes in the luggage, so we need to have a bag for shoes. <coughs> and then you got to have your bag of snacks because you don't want to pay hotel prices for those snacks. And so here you are. You go from, I went from taking a, a backpack and a, a, a carry-on bag and just going to now I'm walking out like this with stuff all over just trying to, try to, I mean, everything just gets so complicated as we get older. But the truth is, Jesus knew this truth. This is why Jesus told them this, is that the more stuff, that the disciples took, the more they would depend upon their own strength than his. The more stuff of their own that they took, they would trust in that rather than Jesus. And my friends, <coughs> the more stuff we have in our lives is the, more, the bigger temptation to trust in that stuff instead of Jesus. Look, I'm not saying that having stuff is wrong, but putting your faith in stuff is. Because every financial market will crash. One day, somebody will pop this balloon housing market that's out there. One day, whatever's going on with cars and shipping and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's terrible. It's third world country stuff out there now. Donna couldn't find Frito chips in the store. Three different stores! They must have gold in them. But all of this stuff that you put your trust in, one day will be gone. 
But Jesus knew the truth. The more stuff that we have, the more we depend on ourselves. What's in your food pantry, your closets, your garages, and your bank accounts, and your retirement funds? Jesus called the disciples to leave all their comforts and to trust him for all of their needs. You see, by the disciples traveling light, it increased their dependence upon God. Like the rich young ruler in the Bible, many want Jesus to answer their prayers and needs, yet are unwilling to let go of the very things keeping them from making Jesus Lord. Well, verse 10 says, Jesus is speaking. Notice the promise he gives. Wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from off your feet and as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their own fate. So if you were to go in and you were to share Jesus with somebody and they said, no thanks, you just go and walk off. Now it's a little different today. Now we got pants and shoes and socks and all these other things. We got cars that we travel in. But back then, I mean, you had maybe some animals you could ride, but it was sandals, it was dirt roads, and it was sweat. So people's feet... We're nasty. But he says, shake the dust off and keep moving. So following Jesus sometimes means you have to move on. There was a reason that Jesus sent them out two by two. It's to make sure that they can strengthen and comfort one another. I've told you before a long time ago, but I remember back when I was in high school, if it hadn't been for another brother in Christ in high school, I would not be here today because we kept each other strong. And my friend, if you claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ, you better have a spiritual partner. And if you don't have one, you better find one. And if you are a Christian and don't have one, you need to be one for somebody else. Because there are days when I am weak and my partner would help me out. Now, my spiritual partner is my wife. When I am down, she picks me up. When she is down... I pick her up. We spiritually, physically, mentally, the whole nine yards. But you cannot do this alone. You need the encouragement of other people, especially teenagers. I mean, I have seen teenagers when they sell out to the Lord and they get that person that is with them, they can take on hell with a water pistol. I'm telling you, it's a beautiful thing. You cannot live this Christian life alone and expect not to struggle. Is Jesus enough? Absolutely. But this world is tough. And some days you will have weekdays and you need that person to help lift you up. Then we see that we are not responsible for those who reject Jesus, but we will be responsible for those we did not tell about Jesus. Yes, my friends, if Jesus knows you will reject him, he will move on. Each time the Holy Spirit pulls at your heart, If you reject it, it may be the last time that that happens before the dust is shaken off and he moves on. When Jesus is Lord, he will provide and produce his work through you. It says, so the disciples went out telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. Look, these men had no formal training. They could only proclaim what had happened to them. And I... When people hear this, I know what they're thinking. Well, that's the preacher's job. That's what the deacons ought to do. That's what the Bible teachers are doing. Look, 
I understand that people think that, that, that the whole spiritual well-being of everybody is on the preacher. But I got news for you. According to Deuteronomy and according to the Word of God, the book of Deuteronomy and, and all other scriptures related to it, you are responsible for the spiritual well-being of your family. No one is going to be able to stand before judgment and say, well, you know, my preacher, he didn't tell me that. That's not going to be an excuse. We are all responsible for our own lives. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm going to be held to a higher standard for what I share with you and how I live before you. I I don't take that lightly. But what I'm saying is, at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to blame anybody but yourself for rejecting Jesus. But we see also in verse 13 that the Holy Spirit is with you. It says, and they cast out many demons and healed sick among the people, anointing them with olive oil. That term, anointing them with olive oil, is another way of saying not only does it heal people, not only did they heal people, but it, the presence of the Holy Spirit was with them. So those who follow Jesus are promised the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. So in conclusion, I would say this, rejecting Jesus Versus following him. Both are good choices. But they both have eternal consequences. The disciples message of the gospel of Jesus brings either salvation or judgment. And today's message brings the same. My friends, if there's anything holding you back from making Jesus Lord of your life, I encourage you and I implore you to let go of that today. Make him savior and Lord or leader of your life. If you don't know for sure whether you are saved, whether Jesus is Lord of your life, we're going to have a brief moment of invitation. You come forward. I will pray with you, and we will make sure that we get that right. If you'd like to join this church or be baptized, this is your opportunity to do so. But with that said, would you please stand as Donna comes to lead us in our invitation?